I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we'll be discussing the final book in the original series of Dune. Final book by Frank Herbert, Chapter House Dune. Chapter House Dune, final book in him. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, one book that's based on notes. It would have been book seven. We get two books that were based on notes, mm-hmm. but... Uh, They'll be uh, written, of course, by Kevin J. Anderson and Ryan Herbert. Herbert. So yep. uh, we, get, we get that coming up. That, that's going to be down the pike. Yep. Before we move into this, uh, we have uh, Ming Lord in the chat room has asked us a question. Have we ever played the Dune RTS? Or here's Dune 2 is his best, in his opinion, because there were a couple RTSs. So what's an RTS, David? Uh, it stands for real-time strategy. Okay. And uh, for those who might be familiar, it would be like... Command and Conquer, or the original World of Warcraft before the game that everyone plays now became what it is. It's it's like um, you got a little bunch of you look down on an army and you kind of control them and move them around uh, in real time. Which is before this, a lot of the games were turn based before real time strategy. And it was like you would take a turn, and then the opposing army would move x amount of places, and then you get to go again. But this is you're both doing things at the same time. So you're playing what the Fremen and the. Uh... Well, I I mean, yeah, I thought you were asking about real time strategies. I haven't actually played the and Dune, okay. Dune RTS. All right, I've seen I've seen screenshots of it, uh, though. I think that would be interesting to find someone who's played it and talked about it. I know that Roland gave me a copy of the instruction manual to the board game. Oh, but not. I mean, yeah. I think it has like even instructions on how to build the board game. I bet you could find the uh, Dune RTS for free somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's probably got to be out there. So so it's like, I think it's DOS based too. So oh wow, yeah. fire up Do- your DOS emulator or something like that. Yeah. Well, we are talking Chapter House tonight, and uh, wow. So what Chapter House takes place in the uh, future of? Well, it's uh, continuing along the Golden Path, I guess. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of an introduction to it, in case you haven't read Chapter House uh, before, it is. The Bene Gesserit still find themselves questioning the golden path of humanity set by God Emperor Later II. Now they must survive the honored Montres whose reckless conquest of the old empire threatens the Bene Gesserit survival. Sisters must reassess their timeless methods. Does ultimate survival go beyond a calculated manipulation? Is there a greater purpose to life than consolidating power? This one is one of the ones that takes place really quickly after the book before it. I right. I, I mean, don't. we we don't we we aren't jumping. This is very reminiscent of, of course, uh, Dune, Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune. Yeah. You know, sequentially following pretty closely. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of jarring the way it just just talking about timeline wise. It starts off and it's like almost immediately after, like maybe a couple of years. Right. But there's enough information that you're missing things, like the Talaks who are all gone. They they hint at that, and you're like, what? What's 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 going on here? And then. It uses the first couple chapters to blast through like nine years, and that was kind of. I don't think that I don't remember any of the other books speeding you forward that quickly. Um, instead, usually I feel like Brian and Frank and, and Kevin they they just kind of like they they give you a cliffhanger and then boom you're you know x amount of years later and they just drop you in. But this was you know they kind of eased you into it. Yeah, through the eyes of Teg. Yeah, so, which is kind, which is kind of interesting. But, getting it through his, getting it through his perspective. 
Um, so uh, we often start off with our overall impressions and thoughts as we read through this book. This is not a book. This is not the rating, but this is like, you know. So what do you think? What you know? How did this hit us and so on? And um, right. Do you want to start? Here we go. Sure. Um, of course, in doing something like this, the three of us tend to to chit chat back and forth while we're reading just little blips. And I think that I'm on the, the different side. I didn't um, have a problem with this book so much. Like I thought that the uh, mystery to it was enough to keep me keep me going. Like what happened? Where do they go next? Like there was such a big overwhelming problem that it kept me wanting to read and see where things would go. Plus like dealing with the, you know, Duncan, Marbella and, and even tag just kind of like, how's this all going to work out? How are they going to defeat such a horrible foe? You know, will the worms come back? That kind of stuff. And I, even looking back to the, my original read through, I remember liking this book a lot better than uh, heretics. Uh, but I know that I am in the, Small group in that one. Okay. So, Jim, why don't you take up? <laughs> Let's hear your thoughts. Well, no, I'm actually kind of on your side there, David. Really? Because I like I, I like this book a lot better than I thought I would, based on what others said to me when I told them I was reading it. And they said it would be really a difficult read. And yeah, there's places in here where it was, uh, where it was hard, but I thought the story was, um, was a lot clearer brought out and, uh, there was a little more of it between the philosophical aspects of the book. Um, I, I think I liked it a lot better than maybe you thought I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was getting the hint that you, you thought it was a bit of a tough read, uh, to get through. Like you had to push yourself a little bit. It started out that way, but um, as as time went on, and as you said, you know, I wanted to find out what was happening with Duncan, how how Tag was going on. Uh, absolutely fascinated with uh, Mother Superior Dar. I just I just really liked her. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what direction the Atreides were going in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, Ming Moore I mean, ch- chimed in says uh, he listened to the audio book and uh, must have fallen asleep because doesn't remember Dune being destroyed you know I wanted to comment on this I think in the last show when we talked about heretics at the end of heretics they destroyed Dune but it is not it is not really developed and shown it's right. kind of done in a very passing way because I remember getting to the end and I was talking about it, I'm like, wait, they destroyed Dune? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I knew they were replanning and trying to restart Dune in another planet, but didn't necessarily correlate it with any conversation they had. And I don't know if I zoned out during that part of the audiobook when I read it or not. But I'm with them on this. I well, go ahead. Well Jim. the on, the honored maters had found uh Arrakis. And so, in order to not lose the spice and the worms and everything, that's when the Bene Gesserit decided to relocate to Chapter House because the Honored Maters didn't know where they were right, or how to find them. Well, and so, are you saying that the, uh, the Bene Gesserit then uh, were the ones that destroyed Dune to keep it from the hands of the Honored Matras? No, I don't, I don't think they... They destroyed it, if I recall right. It was more that they were preserving what was left. Well, I, I mean, I remember them. They Tar wanted them to destroy Dune. I think it was. It was almost like. But again, I, I, I don't think it was very overt. No, it was. It certainly wasn't like we when 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 the detonations went off that blinded. Um, uh, Paul, you know, that was very developed. Yeah. And that and the after effects of that was very clear. But the detonations this time, not nearly as clear as it was in the other books. You know, I think kind of, I wonder, and I feel like it was kind of Frank's way of being like, look at how not important it is anymore. Like, all this time. Oh, that's true. Dune's been so important. But hey, look, it's not actually the most important thing in the world, in in the in the story anymore. There's there's more going on here than just 
the worms in space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and the, but the same exact thing with the beginning of the story and the Talaxu being wiped out and Skytail being the last one. Like it, you're like I don't know, fifty pages into the book before they even like explain. They say it like, oh, he's the last of the, he's the last, he's the last. You know. And you're like, what? Wait, huh? When did this? <laughs> what? When, when did, did that this happen? happen? And yeah, it's kind of like. And he, oh. and he has like, he has the genes or the. Oh, the the, DNA yeah. of like all the Talaxes that have gone before him, and yeah. all these people in him. Now, which book was Skytail in before? Was it? Was it? Was did Dune Messiah with um, with the like face dancer and stuff? Or was he? Or, or was he the first all, Duncan? Or was he all the way back when we had the first revelation of the Axolotl tanks and the Kevin G. Anderson and Brian Herbert? Ooh, you know, back when they were making the uh, the um, starts with an A. Losing it here. But the uh, the fake spice they were trying to create. Amal. Amal. They were trying yeah. to make it the Amal, yeah. Well, I saw Roland just popped in the chat. So, Roland, figure out where Skytail first made his appearance. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Roland, it's your task. <laughs> you arrived just in I time. I know it's been a while. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, but they, they even do mention that we've heard of him, that we've seen him before. So, I know that he was at least in one of the other Frank books. Okay. Yeah. Whether he played a prominent role or not. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. So, what was your overall? Well, I loved it. It was my favorite. Really? No, I'm just oh, come kidding. on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this book, this book for me, and I really struggled through this book, and I knew it was bad when I began it and said, in the first half an hour of the book, I, I said, you know, this is going to be a really tough read. Like I knew, like, and so I felt like I went in negative which I don't like doing for a book because I realized there were certainly some storylines that really redeemed me in the book. I love Duncan hate that all we got of Duncan was him confined to this freaking ship. Um, and he never <laughs> set foot out of it. That, that bothered me a little bit. I did find the mother superior kind of interesting. I wish there was more Shiana in it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was very minimalized, but I felt like she was somehow integral. Obviously uh, if Frank was, planning on writing the uh, sequel to this one, I'm sure she would have played a lot more into it, but we didn't get that, at least from Frank. Um, see, we're on a first-name basis, me and Frank. We go way back. <laughs> way tight. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, the... Uh, um, um, yeah, and so I guess it was not my favorite book. It was... I had some problems with... The structure on it, I did like the way the Honor Matras and the um, and the Bene Gesserit are m- kind of meshed in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some parts that I felt like it was just I was just basically wading my way through philosophical discussions on yeah everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, before we go too far, Roland says Dune Messiah Skytail was in uh, the conspiracy against Paul. Okay, yeah, that one so, that, we, that we, one that we're kind of interested. Well, this makes sense why I don't like this book either, because <laughs> it was Doom Messiah, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, this book felt feels like a middle book. The first time I read it, I kept reading about similarly how people were talking to to Jim how I wasn't going to like it. How it was, it was, it was a tough read. And it ends on this this cliffhang and stuff, and and it's bad. And I remember when I finished it the first time, I thought to myself, I wish people wouldn't have told me that it was a cliffhanger. Because to me, it felt like a, a solid science fiction ending. Because, like, I mean, you watch Twilight Zone or any of those kind of things, and they end on that kind of, like, ambiguous note. Where, okay, I mean, like, what now? But what, what? Like, <laughs> the problem's over, but, I mean, everything's not solved. Type of thing. Same thing with um, the Ender Game movie, Right. Yeah. Like, I like the Ender Game movie. It's obviously not finished, but I'm totally fine with the way it ends. I don't know. I'm, I I mean, I had some problems with the way with the way it ended. Um, it felt very like, okay, how do we end this book? Well, let's have Duncan and uh, Shiana and um, the Talaxu uh, guy that's, you know, shut up in the ship, and let's go riding off into the sunset with these three, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and it's like... Okay, you know you've been stuck. You've had these guys contained in the ship all freaking book, and then you're going to end with them flying off into the sunset, you know, escaping, and that's it. Yeah. And I felt very much. I felt like crap. That's not. A, that's a terrible ending for me. 
I don't know. Didn't it didn't bother yeah, me. Anyway, that's sorry. Did it bother you, Jim? Um not really. Because uh David, I think it's you that pointed out to me that it it seemed like a middle book of a trilogy. And so that's kind of the point of view I I, uh, approached it from, realizing that the third book in the trilogy would not come from Frank because of, you know, of circumstances. So, yeah, I'm a, yeah. (laughs) What about, what about, let's, let's talk about, before we move into characters and stuff, let's talk about how we feel about Frank's writing style changing. Did you feel you got a grasp, like knowing what we know from from reading about things and our discussion with Brian and just what was going on in Frank's life? You know, Beverly was dying. Uh, you know, he was writing this book in parts while going through that, through the move from Hawaii to Washington, then his impending demise. I mean, did you get the sense of, of in that in the writing? To me... That's why it felt so thick. Like unlike the other books, where it starts off thick, kind of spreads a little thinner because you know he just kept writing. This one felt like he, he kept coming in with renewed energy to keep throwing at the the difficult concepts at you. Jim, what do you think? I agree. Uh, you know, as time went on, and we got further along in in the Frank Herbert books, I found them more difficult to read. Uh, is in the middle and then they started to get easier again. I think the thing that impressed me the most, or I should say made the biggest impression was the escalation in these last two books of how much sex played a role mm-hmm. in everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, that was always something that was through the books, but it was more of a, it wasn't as prominent it wasn't as um graphically described as it as it became in these last two books what do you think that means about his mental state or where he was he was a frustrated man he was a frustrated (laughs) man i mean yeah maybe (laughs) i mean i mean just to be serious about it i mean that could have been totally what was going on it's it's very weird to me that it just i don't know yeah, um, well, I think there's a, I think there's something that's outside of Frank that's also playing a part in this. If you look at when when Dune was first published, what mid sixties is that correct? Something like that, yeah. So mid sixties, and these books coming out in the mid eighties. Look at it, the way society had changed, and what became acceptable in publishing, okay. and what you were allowed to publish. I mean, I remember, um, so you know, Harlan Ellison writing stories, uh, his Dangerous Visions anthology that really threw out some of the most risque and most uh, volatile short stories of the time in the mid-70s. And these were hailed as being kind of almost heretical in the uh, sci-fi community because they were so cutting edge and uh, flying in the face of what was acceptable in society. By the 80s, we've we kind of loosened the reins and you began to see a lot uh, more of this sort of writing in literature. And so it may have also just kind of allowed him to say, well, I can write this out now with, and, and still have this book become a number two bestseller and uh, not worry hmm. about it. Because that's, I mean, that's kind of what Chapter House ended up being number two in the New York Times bestseller list for a while. And then before it began to eke its way down. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think we're also looking at a, we're looking at a 20, 25 year shift from yeah. when the first book came out and how this, how this one was received. That's a good point, too. I hadn't really thought about that. Hmm. But. Um, I mean, the honor mantras, I mean, sex was such a core ingredient to their domination and their enslavement of humanity and the way they manipulated it. Do you think that theme was a social commentary on the 70s? And pop culture in the 70s? Bump Jim. Bump Jim. Okay, I think that it was a little more of an extension of what the Bene Gesserit had already been doing. I mean, you know, through their breeding program, I mean, way back at the beginning, what did, 
what happened with uh, Baron Harkonnen. You know, uh, he was uh, he was manipulated, and then you know he mistreated uh, Mohayim, and she got him back. So I I just think it was kind of like hyper Benny Gesserit kind of thing. Hmm. So you're saying that because the the honor Matras obviously are a a diverging group of the Benny Gesserits, that this is the Benny Gesserits in a sense unrestrained, uh, without any sort of moral restraint or you know the them taking their breeding program or whatnot to the nth level, and this is kind of a uh, you know so when the two groups meet, we have one that's kind of held back from this and kept away and realized the destructiveness of this in one group that hasn't. Yeah, they've gone beyond, yeah. way beyond. Ming Lord agrees with you here in the chat room saying, you know, just an extension of the female power started with the Benny Gesserit. More so, with the knowledge that we have now, it seems the logical conclusion of the um, sorceresses of Rossack. Rather than the, the Benny Gesserit seems like an uncanny extreme of the of the uh, sorceresses, where the honored matrix seems like a more realistic outcome because of greed and power, and maybe other memory is what keeps the greed and power in check. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And I like the way uh, Ming Lord says they just do it in one level. The honored matrix are just kind of it's just the sex level, but they're the Ben Jesuits are doing this in multiple level. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Duncan sees through all this crap. Yeah. Well, that doesn't keep him from being trapped by it, but with Marbella. Well, willingly. Yeah. <laughs> willingly trapped, and uh, but not so that he doesn't escape. Right, that's true. Well, that was a mutual kind of thing, wasn't it, between the two of them? Yeah, I don't, I know, mean, I don't, know, how, I don't know how trapped he was. I mean, he, he trapped her, too. Well, I think they were mutually, like, hooked into each other. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, definitely there's the emphasis on the uh, difficulty of their separation and the wanting to bring her along, the wanting to stay with her. All I know, all, all I know David, if you start humming at me, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, um, let's talk. Let's, let's go switch into characters here. Characters? Yeah. All right. Let's, we can talk characters here. Um, who do you want to talk about first? Well, I mean, we're talking about Duncan. Let's, let's, let's talk about go, Duncan. Yeah. Duncan, one of my hands down, one of my favorite characters in this book. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I as we went through the Herbert books, and really even a good portion of the Kevin G. Anderson and Brian Herbert books, one, the, there's been one constant, and that constant has been Duncan. And despite the fact that we're getting Gola Duncans and sometimes Duncans that are a bit more emotional than others – um, he is the one thing that has helped me, that has helped put me back into the Dune universe time and time again when we jump 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 years into the future, there's still Duncan. Yeah. And that's the thing. And so whenever we get Duncan and, and, I'm, and we are getting, and when he's introduced, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel just a little bit home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've had him since House of Trades. He's, yeah. been, he's been around, and it's it's like, who's the real star <laughs> of the series? I mean, it's it's Duncan. It's, yeah, it people, really pe- you know, people say Paul, people say Jessica, or or, or Leto, or Leto the second. But honestly, Duncan does feel maybe not star, but core character. He holds it and ties the novels together. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was an intended tool. So yeah, maybe thoughts on Duncan, Jim? Yeah. As as Scott says, he was a, a an absolute constant. Um, I liked him a way way better in the beginning when he was being trained and when he uh, was a warrior, but he kind of lost lost that along the way, hmm. and he became more of a tool for. Uh, for the Atreides, and not not even as a warrior, just kind of a whipping boy. Yeah, and you see that even in this book. I'm really hoping in the um, sequels that follow this, 
um, which I haven't read yet. But when we get there, that we see him kind of rise to this Swordmaster Duncan that we were first introduced to. There was something noble about him fighting for honor and for integrity and for protection and really doing it for the Atreides but not being used. Yeah. 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 I like the way that his other – his memory is different from other memory and how he taunts that in front of the Bene Gesserit where they have this – they have to be careful about remembering the past or they'll be trapped by it and these other lives that want to take over him. And he's just like, to me, it's just one long life. And and he's like, and the deaths are just things that happened along the path, like bumps in the road. It's just one memory, not like different people. Yeah, we could call death a bump in the road. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. Other, other notable characters to, uh, to mention here. So we had, um, let's talk about uh, Odraid. Is that how you say her name? And that is the... Uh, Mother the, Superior. The, uh, I loved her. She was conniving, manipulative, and totally playing the other uh, sisterhood in mm-hmm. her hand. I liked her a lot. She was one of my favorite. And who was her, who was her um, foil? Uh, Jim, do you remember her name? The one that always kind of came against her and finally came onto her side by the end? Belanda. Oh, Belanda. Yeah. I love Belanda too. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of were opposite. And by the end, he, she's kind of reluctantly right there. You know, Duncan, tell yeah. you, Duncan kind of turns her to him and uh, their relationship. And yeah, that, that was, that was a good storyline. I like, I like the scene where she sits, sits in the uh, lunchroom with the acolytes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And she's kind of like going over her thoughts and the girl's next to her. She knows she wants to ask something, and she's like, "Well, will she be able? Will she? Will she take the step to talk to me?" Like, she have, they never do, but will she? Kind right. of thing. I really liked. I really liked that kind of aspect. Um, of, did you guys feel the same way I did that? Belanda was felt that perhaps Dar was a bit too liberal and kind of wanted to take over a little bit. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also felt that um Belanda represented the stagnation within the uh sisters. No, I would agree with that. They always mentioned how she was more plump and kind of I don't know set in her ways and that kind of stuff. But you see that change. I mean, she loses weight later mm-hmm. on and that 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 coincides with what mentally is happening. Mm-hmm. Um and you kind of, wow, you know, later the second's golden path really begins to play out here because as we get toward the end, we realize that they're, the joining of these two is really is kind of part of that plan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Odraid sees this and Belanda comes and realizes it and understands it and keeps it quiet. You know, it's, um, and that, that's pretty amazing transformation that we have. And Marbella was the perfect tool for it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. I I loved I loved their interaction, and I loved the way, you know, a, a character that you saw transform maybe the most. There were a couple, but certainly Belanda would be one mm-hmm. that kind of transforms into that. What do you guys mm-hmm. think of the Spider Queen? <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. You can, you can start off. <laughs> Well, I don't know. She uh, just uh, rigid, unbending. Uh, I'm in charge, and the rest of you can go fly a kite, and I'm invincible. And we found out, of course, that she wasn't invincible. Boy, and that scene kind of took me by surprise too. When they, uh, when the, the the underling poisons her, mm-hmm. and just like yeah, just like that, it's like whoa. <laughs> You know, it's just that it was it was so out of left field and so it was almost a testament that those people that think they're invincible, it wasn't like some dramatic thing that took her down. It was some little tiny thing. Little tiny thing that just kind of wiped her out. But at the beginning of the book she kinda of, she kind of foreshadows that fact of saying that she let her in she's let this person in and she knows this person will be the one to to do her in. I think either 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 the what's her name who takes over or the Spider Queen, um, one of them thinks in dialogue in their head, poison. 
I wonder if poison will be what 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 to use. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing, is what you're saying? Yeah, foreshadowing. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So what'd you think of? Man, you know, she was ruthless, especially. I mean, and what was her thing with the futars? <laughs> uh, they're they're just kind of like, and they, I feel like those things were off to the side and not explored quite enough. Yeah, they're almost like me. they're almost like chair dogs. Yeah, a little bit like the chair dogs, but you have them in here. They have they're, they're animals that have somehow gained human speech, or humans that have devolved into these well, creatures. Talaxu made them, right? And they're like half human, half animal. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's really it, it is kind of uh, hard to say, but somehow the one the one chick that's imprisoned there kind of wins them to her side, mm-hmm. and and then gets killed. Yeah. By the spider queen, Priscilla. but but the Futa remember. And don't really forgive the Spider Queen, right? And right. as a part of this, and that there's that there's this nice lady. Yeah, I. The other thing about the Honored Matrix is that the, for, a group, so. You know who controls, by sex. They they just don't paint themselves as attractive women to me. Like they, they just they even when they're described like they're just like they sound like they sound like picture that I have in my head. Is like the starving kids on those, uh, on those like Africa things. Like that's right. what I imagine them being, just like so trim, so like bony, and everything. I don't know. That's the the vision that I get from, uh, from them. And that's why I'm just kind of she's just gross on so many levels to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's. Um, I guess you don't need to be attractive when you can hum. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You can control someone by humming. I mean, it doesn't matter how doesn't you look. Matter. No, I guess no. not. <laughs> and I agree, uh, Ming Lord. I listen to these books on audio, and they do come off as being kind of creepy, even though there is something kind of endearing in them a little bit later on. So I would yeah. agree with that. Well, the, the way the way they're read, and I so. wish we would have seen, been able to see their brutality a little bit more because they were created to hunt the haunted matrix. Right, and, and but we don't, don't we don't want to really see that. You don't want to see it. No, we don't ever really. See no, it. we don't ever see it. You, that would have been interesting to at least have gotten a glimpse of that. The only other time we really saw them in a in a um, strong sense is in the previous book when is it Lucilla, someone who's on uh, Gamu, okay, and she's in the streets and she's like, "What is this thing?" And she's like, "Oh, that's a fu- that's a futar." Sent here to hunt the hundred majors, and she's disguised as an hundred major. They don't. Point. They don't have any correlation or relationship to the wolves that were hunting the group that infiltrated Leto II's castle and were running at the beginning of God Emperor. That's a good connection. I never thought of that, but I, I mean, I have. I have no clue. Yeah, I don't either. Because they seemed highly intelligent too, but I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe no correlation at all. So who else? Let's let's pick out some other characters. How about uh, was Shiana? Yeah. So you, what, what, you, you like her? Go ahead. I do like her, but she wasn't in near enough. I mean, she stuck out in the desert somewhere. We see her a blip in time at the actual house, and then they go out and visit her in the desert. And then at the end, they 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 figured out that she actually has done the forbidden or gone in and manipulated the matter and everything else like she's done. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of appalled by it, but we don't really get a heck of a lot. She's more talked about right yeah she's definitely more talked about and i kind of she was one of the things i really liked about heretics really her her unbridled innocent controlling the worms and manipulating the bene Gesserit. interesting i found her annoying <laughs> <laughs> jim what did you think of shiana um you found her interesting, you found her annoying, and I kind of found her just kind of there. <laughs> well, this book... <laughs> until, okay, go ahead. Until the end, until the end, when uh, it's obvious she is going to become Mother Superior at some point. Well, I mean... Yes. You know, she sure rose through the ranks in a hurry, let me tell you. But Mother, but Mirabella is Mother Superior. Right now. True, true. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that Shiana and Duncan and what's his face went riding off into the sunset in their horses, and, and all the Ju- and all the Jews are out there too. <laughs> I thought you were making a joke at first, but I forget. No, it was I, literally I, I, all the Jews. But I want to tell you something here. 
<laughs> that was something that threw me when we went like so we had nothing throughout Frank's books at all, and suddenly here in this book the Jews appear, yeah. and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you know we had this rabbi, and and I'm like. This is, I mean, I realized that we had the Orange Catholic Bible, so something like religion was totally devoid. Um, but the Orange Catholic Bible seems to be kind of gone by the wayside. No one's really talking about it anymore. Right. But suddenly the Jews pop up. And not only that, but they're kind of this secret society that has this real, they almost become, they almost become like Freemason-like, you know, a little bit. So secretive. Uh I was surprised by that as well. Even through the second time reading, I forgot about them completely. Yeah. And I was just like, what? I was like, what? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> uh, Jim, your thoughts on the Jews in the book? Well, <laughs> again, out of left field, I didn't know what, what was going on there, but okay, that's fine. I guess they're here and the rabbi is there. And um, Yeah, I think he was just, or they were just there. They needed a label of some kind, um, and gosh, I'll tell you what—I really don't know what to think. It was just weird. Yeah, I agree with uh, what Ning Lord says. He goes, "The rabbi is a literally creepy of a character. He comes in. He's he he almost represents like you don't change the old ways. You, yeah. you do oh, it well, this that- way. You do it this way, and then but his his daughter who has gone through the spice transformation." Um, and now has a Bene Gesserit living inside of her through the memories. This is creeping him out. This is like a departure of the old way. And he, but, he, but his staunchness and his unwillingness to bend is certainly a bit spooky. Yeah. If the rabbi had been painted any other way than that, that kind of conservatism, uh, I would have discounted the. In- entire thing is as uh crap <laughs> yeah. well you know and he, he does come off very orthodox and so yeah um i did not feel me not Ming lord said it's kind of unrealistic but i'm not really buying the unrealistic thing certainly it's it functions as a counterpart and a foil to the other uh i like the word foil tonight um <laughs> the uh the the foil to the daughter and and, and how different she is and and that contrast his ability and yet in the midst of it he sees a need and helps her. Yeah. So it's not like he goes, this is where I'm at. I'm uncomfortable with, but I'm going to help you. I don't think she was actually his daughter, though. Wasn't his daughter? I think I he just called her like daughter. Like, 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 like he was a rabbi. Like, called, like daughter of Adam. Daughter yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. That's one of those things. Maybe. That's, I mean, the, that's it. But I mean, I could be wrong, but Ryan White says, a rabbi, a wild reverend mother, and a mentat walk into a bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm I I don't I'm with you on the unrealistic thing. I don't think that he was unrealistic. Unprobable is more likely. Yeah. Well he comes again because we have so little mention. I know Roland said they were mentioned in the legend books. I don't remember them in the legend books. But um because of how unreal, because it kind of comes out of left field, it was like, where in the heck did these Jews come from? Yeah. It was more of that. Right. Right. But, Ryan also says that uh, the Jews reminded him of the uh, original Fremen, uh, Ishmael and them searching for their home like Israel. Okay. Yeah. I see that too. I had always read the uh, Legends books uh, as the, what did they call themselves? The, well, the Islamic like, oh, yeah, type the, of sect. In in my mind, that that like futuristic religion was born out of Judaism, and, like a combination of Judaism and other things. That's how I always viewed it. So I agree. Yeah. I agree. So so who else do we have that we should be talking about? We didn't talk about Mabella, did we? Or Bella, I mean, we kind of did. Yeah, her right change about. is pretty cool. Uh, Tag. We didn't talk about Tag. Oh yeah, at all. Someone else can start on this one. Tag. Jim, you're on. Tag. Tell me about Tag. Uh, I, I'll i tell you what. This is the, the probably the storyline I was anticipating enjoying the most. And it was probably the one that appalled me the most. <laughs> what, what appalled you about Tag's storyline? Well, he's an 11-year-old boy, and he is going to be... Uh, his memories are supposed to be awakened and apparently Duncan wasn't doing it fast enough and we get a scene 
that I would say would probably uh, lose us our jobs. Well, I, <laughs> there's no doubt, Jim, you and I, we would not be teachers anymore if this happened. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's, it's creepy when you think about it. If you think about it as being the adult tag being awakened, it's not creepy. But if you think about it being the 11-year-old tag, yeah. holy Hannah, this is pedophilia. I know. Yeah, I, I guess it really is how you look at it. I mean, at the end, he's not a kid anymore. No. But even that's creepy. I mean, he, he's riding in the shoulders of the Bene Gesserit because he's so small. And... And he's commanding the armies. I don't know the ending. the the way the the way Tag ends is kind of anticlimactic for me too. Well, Maymore says it's his role in the next two books that he has more of a problem with. Uh, but getting ahead of things, <laughs> and don't spoil it because I didn't read the other two books. <laughs> so, I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, I agree with you, Jim. This is a. It was kind of an appalling transformation. It seems yeah. like everything that we spent the last book fighting for Duncan to avoid, and like, oh, will he escape it? They just throw Tag right in. I'm just like, well, you're getting it. Yeah. You know, you know I, I think the other thing with Tag that um, is interesting, Tag was my favorite character in the Heretics books, uh, or one of them. Like the fact that he gained this like insane speed, absolutely phenomenal. Loved yeah. it. I wanted more of that in this book, and you didn't really develop it. I really didn't see much of it. Just the seeing the no ship thing, which came out of left field because that wasn't really a thing in the other book. It's just like, oh, let's tackle on this power at the beginning of you know the very first couple chapters. They mentioned could he see the no ships? Is that what it was? Yeah. But it's like, well, I, I never really, I didn't get that impression from the last book, but sure. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, how about favorite point of plot? Let's talk about that. We may have tied some of that into some of our discussions of characters, but what are some points of plot that stuck out to you that you really enjoyed the, the scene, the dialogue, or the way things came out? Jim. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I would just have to say the, the preparations that the Bene Gesserit were making to try to keep from, or make themselves ready for an attack from, uh, the honored maters. And then finally coming around later on to saying, okay, we need to launch a preemptive strike here because if we sit back and wait, we're going to be in big trouble. Right. And that that was kind of the that kind of summed up the whole book for me. Yeah, I, and I would agree with that. I think that that was probably that 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 planning to strike was was crucial, and then seeing them actually carry it out was kind of fascinating on on all yeah. the levels. The Odrade when she actually goes and meets with the Spider Queen to the actual launching of the uh, attack with you know with the uh, with Tag and in uh, the way they attack at that end. Um, man, the Cymax, the introduction of the Cymax again, the robot, uh, driver of the ship that blows up the ship there. Yeah. Isn't that kind of a, it's kind of like a Cymax, right? Cause it's the memories of the Ben and Jesuit, right? Right. Kind of our, our cyborg at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he was more of a cyborg. I don't think he was a Cymax. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's why I re, reset this. Kind of the same way they put, um, Romber back together. Yeah. Yeah, we get a little bit of a hint of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that kind of skirts, uh, they, they talk about how that skirts on the, um, you know, the whole jihad, jihad the butler and jihad, and what, what was put into place to kind of avoid it, how they're kind of skirting the line here. Right, right. Well, I mean, the uh, Ixians have been skirting that line with the, the ships for, for that, ages. that drive themselves, yeah. 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 Well, these last two books, it doesn't seem that it it has been an issue whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I think we're moving towards something in the last two books. So. Could be. I mean, uh Oh, you know. Don't give me that Don't give me that could be crap, David. <laughs> you know, could be. Uh, um <laughs> Yeah, I for me, I, I mean, I, I think I liked the, like the smaller stuff almost better. Just like I said, the the conversation or the, with uh, Odrid in the in the room, 
the, the cafeteria. I really liked the point of chapter houses change and like how like they kept driving home people watching their planet change and yeah. how they wanted it. But at the same time, it was, they were losing what they, they loved about the place and, and what they had worked so hard to make about the place. Yeah. So I, I found that to be one of my favorite like subplot points uh, in it. In, in one way, we never saw Dune really transform into Dune. We only saw it kind of over time transform out of being right. uh, the sandy place that it was. And here we're seeing that reverse transformation. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when she says, okay, dry up the sea, you know, it, yeah. and that command, and you know that stuff's coming and changing fast. It's uh, That is kind of cool, and I do like that. Yeah, I think one of the other plot points I really liked was something that happened really over the course of the book, and that was... The way you saw Duncan playing the eyes, you know, the calm eyes that kept watching them, mm-hmm. and yet he, you knew that he was also plotting something beyond. And uh, it brings you up to the end. I know I complained about the end and how it's kind <laughs> of the what the the kind of the convenient end. Let's go have the guy and the girl and the uh, Talaxu go riding off into the sunset, and it's this convenient ending. But they do. It's not totally thrown out of left field because we get the idea that Duncan's been plotting the whole way along. And I, I I was kind of, because I love Duncan, I was like, okay, where's this going to lead? How, how's this going to play out? Yeah. You know? So I was kind of, I, I was grateful for that. And on top of that, I mean, you got the whole mystery of like, is he imagining those people talking or are they there? Yeah. Who are those people we keep seeing in the standing in the garden? Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't know, do you? No. Okay. Do you? Um, uh, hey, shut up, Dave. I don't talk to you. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Are they part of his imagination? I don't know. Yeah. Is it is it his inner Jim talking to him? No, maybe. Maybe it's Norma Semba. Oh. I'm maybe. just kidding. I don't know. Could be. I like Norma Semba. She was one of my favorite female characters. So, you know, the sidetrack here, I got a friend of mine into reading Dune. She's been hearing me talk about it and seeing me read it. And I said, borrow Butler and Jihad. And she's going on about how she likes this character and that character. She's like, you know what? Looking back, I really think Norma is one of my highlights for the Legends I do series. like. I do like. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. Um, any other characters we oh any other uh plot points you want to pull out that you kind of uh pull out that you I like? think I'm good Jim yeah. uh no I'm fine uh, all right <laughs> he well want, he doesn't want to talk to you anymore he doesn't he he's like heck with that oh, yeah. um yes. any any <laughs> themes do we need do we need to talk about like the golden path we talked about sex being a tool here that's obviously continuing to Roland expresses in the chat room that he bugged him that they didn't explore those people further. Yeah, the people, the uh, two that uh, Duncan kept seeing in his vision. Um, yeah. Um, so we get the idea of the golden path, even though it's not inherently mentioned. That's obviously the way they're traveling. Yeah. Toward it. Um, we get another opinion of like, what is the go- like? What is the golden path saving us from? Addiction, yeah. stagnation. Uh, um, Eradication via what's it incest? What's right. the word for that? I can't remember. But, yeah, uh, what, and we we also get a little bit of the uh, the whole Quizas Hadarak, you know, Tag and uh, Tag and Duncan saying, "Well, we don't want to stray over to this side, or we're going to be cons- labeled the." And so they're making themselves very clear that they are not the Quizas Hadarak. Right. And I know back when I used to be saying, "Well, who's the real Quizak Hadarak?" Because I mean, you know, they say that. Uh, at first, you think it's Paul, and then you really think, well, maybe it's Leto the second with what he does. Maybe he's the real Quizak Hadarak. And then, in my opinion, it's like it's really just it's really this version of Duncan is the Quizak Hadarak because he's the only one that has the real. Both of the others have the Benny Jesuit problem of the memory being a conglomerate of but other he people. He sees all, but for him, it's his memory because he has the memory length of actually experiencing those things. And it's not a matter of being taken over by his memory. Okay. So I can buy that. Jim, any thoughts on that? No, not really. I, I, the Kwisatz Haderach, I thought they were trying to avoid creating another one. 
Yeah, yeah, but... Because the Kwisatz Haderach was that person who could look into the the areas of a person's psyche that nobody else would want to see. Yeah. Or they could be... And, they had so much knowledge of what was that they could see all of the op- options of what could be. Right. That's how I saw and, it. and that was Paul... Of course, who could do that? And to a degree, I think Leto the second. But um, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't feel like Duncan was. Really? Not. Not really. Okay. All right. Duncan, I think, was uh, being kept as breeding stock. Well, I think all the other Duncans. This Duncan. This one, I feel, is a Quizakadrak. Yeah, uh, but yeah. we can agree to disagree. I, 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 I just didn't get the the magical sense with with Duncan that any at any point that that I had that I did with Paul or okay even Leto the second. There's yeah. definitely something magical when you look back on it about Paul. There's just a we I guess we get him from innocence to knowledge to falling to redemption. Mm. Uh, we get the whole. You get the whole thing, and he's much more of a Christ figure and a fallen figure, and there's something redemptive. I do like Paul as a Kwisatz Haderach probably the best, even above later the second. Because I think later the yeah. second just becomes... He has too much purpose. Yeah, he's too much purpose, and you don't get that with Paul. But maybe that's yeah. more of a testament I, of the character. Anyways, go ahead. I, I just thought that as these books... Frank Herbert went along, they just got heavier and heavier and more complicated and more complicated. And and I just kind of started to miss the storytelling. Uh, yeah. You know, the 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 heroes, uh Duke Leto and Jessica and Paul and Gurney, you know, those guys were just huge, bigger than life. In the later books, there, there, that just wasn't there. There were no heroes. There were no villains. Everybody was just kind of normal. Yeah, and I agree. I, I, I'm missing that. I'm hoping that we get a little bit of a return to that when we get to the next two books. Which, which brings the the big question that that will either make or break us as people, uh, as human beings in this world. Yes. Uh, are you looking forward to leaving Frank Herbert behind? And moving back into the world that Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert create. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I do like Frank. I, 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 it was a jolt going into Frank, uh-huh. and it'll probably be a jolt coming back out of Frank. But I do like, I did like what Frank had. But I'm ready to get into some. But you miss Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's writing. I do. See, see, so, I. You know what? First four books. No. After these two books, I definitely miss am it. in the same boat. I miss. I'm ready to go back with open arms and no inhibitions uh, into the Frank or to the Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. Jim, where do you stand and what do you think the people will judge you by? Oh, well, I'm <laughs> sure everybody's going to say that I'm just really pedestrian and. I don't have, I, I'm not smart enough to understand Frank Herbert or whatever, and I don't really care. I am just looking forward to uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's storytelling because that's what I'm reading for. I don't, yeah. if I want to be taught, if I want philosophy, I'll go read Socrates. Well, and there's, no, right. there's, there's no doubt that you get the philosophy, and there's nothing wrong with that in the Herbert books. And I think it's one of the things that drew people to these, to to these books. But you know, when when you follow these books, you know, consistently, yeah, it's um, it, it's it, it gets a bit it's much. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing. We've been reading them so steadily that it has a lot more of an effect. On us, then you know how many how many years were in between these before. I mean, it was probably more of a. If you're reading you're, as these books come out, I mean, you're looking at three, four, five years between yeah. them. You were probably more hungry for this to get yeah. this information. 
Yeah, and so yeah. I, I mean, I understand like Ming, Nor- Ming Lord's like, oh no, the whole Vader cry, insert Vader cry here. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand that sentiment. You know, we're coming out, and there's people that are diehard and love these, but and for me, it's just not that same love affair with it. And maybe that's partly because we we tasted the other side <laughs> before we read the original, right? So. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, after working on uh, a degree and then working on, you know, my undergraduate degree and then working on a graduate degree, I'm tired of heavy reading. I just want to enjoy what I'm reading. I want to have fun. Right. Right. So just a couple comments and some things in the, the chat room that they're saying that kind of some of it plays into this. Um, we talked a little bit about the golden path. Apparently, Frank explains the golden path in the recording. Yeah, I'd like to hear and, that. And uh, Bridget Rethgear, if you can tell us what recording that is, I would love to get my hands on it. Um, so if you can let us know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ming Lord said the golden path sounds like a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> the golden path. <laughs> but I did like what Ryan uh, White said. He goes, the golden path is like a very Jungian, Jungian, Jungian. Uh, sort of um, collective unconsciousness and everything else unseen and unknown. And uh, that's kind of important. Um, he agrees with us in the storytelling, but he thinks that books seven and eight are just drawn out too long. So, and I don't know. I can't judge that, so don't spoil it. It's it's interesting, though, because I know when we read the in-between books, we wanted to get right back in. When we were reading The Heroes... Oh yeah, we wanted to jump right back into Frank. We were like, I don't want this. What's going on? Like some of that was the way they were split. Like we had yeah. a past and a present. You know, right? Like, I don't. If I remember correctly, we won't have that issue. Yeah, moving forward. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So where are we now? What else? Well, what? Uh, any other? Any other thoughts in this? Are we good? I think I'm good. All right. Well, let's move into some quotes. Do you have any quotes? Not off the top of my head. How about, how about you, Jim? Do you have any quotes? I'm sorry, I'm totally unprepared. Okay. Tell you what, we I can do two. quotes. We can do quotes in uh, listener two. feedback. But I have two. So okay. we can do it. Do you want to do listener feedback? Yeah, we'll just start listener feedback off because we'll have a ten minute break. I'll get mine together. Oh right, yeah, that sounds Jim good. Get his together. All right, so we're going to hold off in quotes okay. until the listener feedback. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So I guess that brings us up to what ratings? Like, how do we rate this book? Yeah. We don't have any poll this month, do we? No. No poll. We kind of dropped the poll, but. Um, that's fine. That sounds bad. Drop the poll. So tell me, um, so how did you end up ranking this book out of five stars? Let's start with you, David. I am going to, I'm going to give it a 3.9 because I don't want to give it a four, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a three to me. It was just almost a four because, and part of this might be my my memory of reading it before and enjoying it then, probably a little bit more than I did now. Just it was the the mystery. Who are those people that he keeps seeing in his vision or, and learning about the Talaxu just in general in this part? Just I really liked that part. I mean, that was really what kept me going before Skytail and all that stuff. So it's uh, I'm going to give it a three point nine. And uh, settle with that. All right. Sounds good. How about you, Jim? I'm going to call it a straight four because I I really did enjoy the story. And I had a lot easier time picking the story out of all of the other stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a 3.25 for me. 3.25. Yeah. I don't know if that's the lowest rating I gave. Maybe maybe roll in. Roll uh, probably has. He probably has it on a little chart here. What what did he read about? Call that up pretty quick. Um, I um, maybe I maybe I rated some of the others lower, but this this one just I I, it was it was a good halfway to three fourths before (laughs) I really got into the book. You said to me over dinner, this book redeemed Dune Messiah to you. Well, it did. It did. I like Dune Messiah better than I like this book. So whatever you gave Dude Messiah, this better be It better be lower, because that's why I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Roland, what did I give Dune Messiah? I don't remember what I gave Dune Messiah. That's like, it wasn't It wasn't absolutely horse-pucky, all right? Yeah. I, I liked, I, it was good. Um, 
3.25 also. Oh, see? I got, then I have, oh. I'm changing this. This is a three, a flat three, because oh. it has to be lower than Doom Messiah. Okay. Because I, but, but understand that it's redeemed it. That means that I would, if I were to go back and re-rate Doom Messiah, I'd probably rate it higher based on my reading of this book. Like a 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. <laughs> so, so, because it was, uh, it bridges better. The story is more solid in Doom Messiah than we have here. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I don't know. Sucks to boost you guys putting in a four. Jeez. <laughs> Three point nine. Thank you. <laughs> okay, got it. Three. It was just, it was just shy. Uh, thank you, just. Roland, for uh, mentioning that. And we do have a link that we will throw up into uh, our post of this episode um, that Bridger Rescue actually um, identified. He gave us a link to the recording where Frank talks about the one path. Thank you for finding that. By the way, yeah, really thanks. appreciate it. Well, um, so what are we looking forward to as we move into the next book? Is this Sandworms? Or this is, is Hunters. The, hunters. Hunters of so, Hunters. I'm talking. Hunters. Hunters. Uh, but Hunters <laughs> of Dude. So what, what, are we, are, what are we looking at here? Are we, uh, what are we looking forward to? What do we want to see happen? Me? Yeah, go ahead. I want to see, I want to see Duncan and Teg working together uh, on a peer-to-peer level like they, like they should be. Uh, that cult, wait, right? Yeah, he's on the no ship with them, right? No, Teg's not. Teg's is, Teg, not. Is, Teg, is Teg on the no ship? No, I don't think Teg's there. Never mind, Jim. You there? I just want to see. I just want to see Duncan. I'm here. Yeah. I just want to see Duncan doing his thing some more yeah. with Shiana yeah. on the yeah. on the ship. Yeah. How about what you? Do do? How about you, Jim? What are you looking forward to as we go into Hunters of Dune? You know, at at this point, I don't really even know. What what to expect coming up? Uh, just no no clue whatsoever. I'm I'm wide open to whatever direction we're gonna go in. Really? Okay. For me, it's the Duncan storyline continually that I'm looking forward to. Okay, they went riding off in the sunset. What's happening next? What's gonna happen there? I'm also very interested in finding out what the honor mantras are running from. Because oh, there's, yeah. this, there's this darkness that we got a hint of the one of the books earlier that's out there. And what is this thing that's pursuing them, that's right. driving them back in toward the core? That's what I want to know. Yeah. yeah. Our, um, Roland says Teg is on the, on the no ship. So, yes. Okay. I go back to my original gut feeling. Yeah. 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 Well, I like how uh, Ryan Wright says it's called Tunkin. <laughs> their Tunkin. bromance, their bromance <laughs> name. <laughs> Tag and Duncan together. Tunkin. Tunkin. <laughs> oh. Well, very good. Well, I believe that about does it for the show. Are we missing anything? We, no, I think we, covered, we covered it. it. We covered it. We did okay. So, um, so um, as we do this, if you want to give us your thoughts in writing about about Chapter House or about the upcoming books, Hunters of Dune, you can do that a couple of different ways. Do you remember how they can do that? Oh, I sure do. They can hit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. We're on Twitter, at Podcast. Of course, you can email us, which is the best way, at Podcast at gmail.com. You can pop in an audio file into that email and we'll play it on the show. We love to do that as well. You can also call in. I think you can still call in. I haven't tested this chat number for a while, so maybe I should. But it used to be you could call in at one two six zero five seven seven chat And uh, that's one two six zero five seven seven two four two eight. And uh, again, other ways that are many that are, that are good for you to get a hold of us as well. Yeah. Um, but I believe that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one final thing. And I can't remember her name offhand, but something I did in the last two weeks uh, that was months and months and months coming was I finally mailed out the books people won like, okay. a bajillion years ago. Oh, Ryan yeah. was one of them, and uh, I think Rick got one. And, uh, but the third one, a, a lady a lady had won, and I, I she never got her address to me. So we so, if you're listening and you remember that you were the one who won, please send me your address. Uh, I guess if we don't get it by the next time, I guess maybe I'll give it out to someone else. Yeah, and thank you so much for our Patreon supporters that yeah. continue to help bring this podcast to life and uh, help us fund some of the costs of running the podcast. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Links can, on our main page. Yeah, as well. well, actually, you can search us on Patreon. 
For whatever reason, the link, although it, it points at the right address, it takes you to the main Patreon page. I don't. I, I'm not sure what's going on there, I, but I've looked at it. So, but yep. So. All right. Well, I believe that's about it. Um, so for the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Hertzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you. <laughs>